Welcome to Uncharted and Eclectic, Hoya, as well as Rabi here. How are you, sir? I'm very well, and thank you uh, both for having me uh, so much. Really appreciate uh, being on your show. Yeah, absolutely. Excited to have you. Nick, uh, if you've listened to a couple of episodes, we were lucky enough to have Sarah uh, from your team as one of our first guests. So we'd love to kick it off to just give the audience some context on who you are with a quick personal as well as business bio. Sure, yeah. So my name is Nick Franklin. I'm the founder and CEO of Chart Mogul. Uh, we build uh, what we call a subscription data platform. Uh, it allows you to uh, do things like subscription analytics, plugs into your payment billing system, be it Stripe or Chargebee or Recurly, and calculates all your MRR and other types of subscription metrics to help you run your subscription business better. Um, and so, yeah, I've been running that company for getting on nearly six years now. Uh, we're about 40 people. Uh, we're a distributed company um, all over the world. So we have, uh, I I'm here in Seoul, in South Korea. Um, we have office here. We have office in Berlin and another one in, in Toronto. So pretty distributed and a lot of people, most people don't actually work in an office. So we're definitely a remote company. And um, yeah, prior to starting this business, I worked for about five years at Zendesk. Um, Zendesk, uh, you know, everyone at the customer service uh, SaaS product. I joined pretty early on as like the ninth, ninth person on that team and was in charge of the European uh, EMEA like region from a sort of sales and support go to market perspective and built up a team in London there. And then I uh, moved to Asia and ran the Asia region for, for Zendesk as well, where we had a team in, uh, in Manila and uh, distributed. So I spent nearly three years there building up that team and uh, it was pretty fun and you know, learned about um, selling into all different international markets. Um, but my, I'm, I'm definitely, a, that, was, that was my time at Zendesk was very go-to-market sales and support and these things. But my, my heart and my, my passion is more in product. Prior to, um, prior to Zendesk, I actually worked for only like a year and a half at a product um, company in Cambridge, England that was acquired by Amazon and became Amazon Alexa, actually, a company called True Knowledge, renamed to Evi, and it was like question answering service. It was like a Siri competitor. So Apple bought Siri and, and Amazon bought uh, Evi. Um, so I really enjoyed that, um, although Zendesk was definitely the, the better option for kind of career and experience-wise. So I'm, I'm definitely glad I moved to Zendesk, but part of starting this business uh, was you know, a little bit of me wanting to get back into trying to build something, trying to build products. So, um, yeah, and personal personal history. I mean, I'm I'm English, although I haven't actually lived uh, in England now for nearly ten years. I lived in uh, yeah Philippines, um, in, uh, in in Berlin, where we have one of our offices for like four and a half years, and now uh, the last uh, year I've been in uh, in uh, Korea. Nick, I know on a personal over your dad took one of the most influential photos of the 20th century, uh, the tank man photo. Give us some context on that. Photo of the tank man uh, in, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a well-known photo. There's actually two or three photographers that got the same, the same shot or a similar shot. They're all from slightly different angles. Um, actually. So uh, it, it, they were all staying in the same hotel, uh, I believe overlooking uh, Tiananmen square at the, uh, so they, they all have slight different, slight different uh, angles. So you can look it up and see like, okay, this uh, one of the photos has some street lamps, a little bit obscuring the, uh, 
into the shot. And the BBC also filmed the um, filmed the uh, the scene, although video cameras in those days the, the quality wasn't so high, so you had to use uh, film. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, definitely it was interesting. Got to travel with with him sometimes. Uh, a lot of times to like, you know, like. For some reason, I've been to Venezuela five times. It's like <laughs> not normal, right? <laughs> I mean, that was before Venezuela. That was like when I was young. And these days, uh, Venezuela is not not as stable as it was then. But but you know, this this, this it's definitely made for interesting interesting childhood, I suppose. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm actually one of five kids, so uh, you know, we we didn't tra probably travel with uh, my dad as much as. Uh, if it was less kids, so everything gets multiplied by five with all the flights and everything, you know, when you when you have a large family. The short bio you gave, but we'd love to learn a little bit more about the experience, you know, as employee, a really early employee, I think it was employee number nine at Zendesk and then moving out to APAC. Um, I think, you know, we talked to a lot of SaaS founders and, and revenue and go-to-market leaders. And I think you often see, you know, growth in the U.S., and then kind of growth in EMEA as kind of a logical next step. But we don't hear a lot of success stories, um, as many at least on this podcast, about successful SaaS businesses scaling in APAC. It would be great to like learn a couple of the early you know, takeaways or learnings that you had on that experience, um, going out, you know, being the first employee in APAC for Zendesk, what it looked like in the beginning, what it looked like at the end, and, and maybe one or two things you learned along the way. Sure, yeah. I mean, so I started as a... Uh, so where, where I worked before Evi, which which was the company acquired by um, by Amazon, that um, I was sort of product and community manager there. So I I also took care of doing some customer meetups and things like that, and attending some conferences. Um, and I one of my one thing I did while I was at that company was was buy Zendesk, um, and it, you know just for our own personal public forums and help center and ticketing. Um, so you were a customer Zendesk. first. Got it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and so I went to, I think it was called web 2.0 conference. It was like an O'Reilly conference in San Francisco in around early, like beginning of 2009 with, um, you know, the C the CEO and, uh, sort of a C CRO or, uh, CBO uh, of, of that company. The three of us went to that conference and, while I was there, you know, I ran into um, Michael Hansen, who was the first employee of, of Zendesk after the three the three founders. They're all Danish uh, the initial initial team, and uh, you know, I ran into him because he's wearing a big big green Zendesk T-shirt. He just said, "Oh, we just bought your product, and you know, I like it. I've been playing with the API, you know, same product at the time." So, and I think around six months later, they they raised the A round, and they you know, just on a on initial hiring spree and. Um, you know, phoned me up and I was back in uh, Cambridge, England. So do you want to join Zendesk? And, you know, we spoke about it and uh, I said, in the end, okay, and let's do it. And, uh, you know, he flew into, uh, uh, Michael flew in, he was, he was living in Hong Kong at the time. And uh, he, he flew into uh, the UK and uh, we, first day he's like, okay, uh, his sales force we're using for the sales. And uh, you know, here's the people that have signed up for a free trial. Uh, okay, and then I'm going to call them up now using Skype and, and say hello. Uh, they've signed up, you know, in the last few hours and just phone them up. Hi, this is Michael from Zendesk. I saw you signed up for a free trial. 
um, do you need any help? And this, you know, this is 2009, uh, you know, a long time ago now. And, and, and people are usually quite um, uh, surprised by that, 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 you know, they sign up for something on the internet and we actually called them up and, and spoke to them. Um, and then he did it one more time. They said, okay, your turn, Nick. And I'd never done sales before. Um, you know, maybe I was a little bit shy uh person growing up and then i was okay fine i'll just give this a try no choice and uh <laughs> picked up the phone started speaking to to people and just okay, he's like okay do it again he's like okay do it again okay and we sent uh, if we didn't get through on the phone we'd send them a personalized email and then uh he said okay you seem to be getting the hang of it let's go for lunch and then uh that was pretty much the maybe there was another little bit of training but not really and um uh, yeah that was it the team was like nine people then um once i joined and and uh and uh, yeah, I kept doing that and I eventually hired some people to help with customer service as well and also sales uh, in, in London. And then uh, after about, this is kind of fun being just thrown into doing, doing sales. Um, it, was, it was inside sales, so you didn't have to do any outbound. It was people had already signed up for a free trial. So it's, it's you know, they, they, you know, they're quite friendly to, to the idea of speaking. Um, and then, uh, yeah, after about a year and a half, two years in, in UK, I was getting a bit restless because the, the company was, uh, everyone had moved to San Francisco. The company was kind of scaling up um, in San Francisco. And I felt, um, you know, my, my learning wasn't as, I wasn't learning as many new things um, as I had two years earlier. Um, because, you know, it was, it was mostly uh, around expanding the, the European market in terms of sales and support. And, and they said, well, look, uh, Michael has, has just moved from back, uh, they have uh, to his home in, uh, in Melbourne, Australia, from San Francisco. Uh, and uh, why don't you, uh, uh, he, you know, he, he said, I'm looking for someone to run Asia. I'm focusing on the Australia, New Zealand market, and we need someone to run Asia. So why don't you, uh, this could be an opportunity, you can go there and, um, and kind of just start Zendesk's Asia business <laughs> we didn't oh, have so much you hadn't, on it. this this hadn't been sort of a preordained thing it was it was more an opportunity that that came your way that you considered and, and took yeah exactly like I, I was on vacation i went so i had a german friend who was who was sort of making a documentary film in the philippines and i i was like i was getting a bit restless in london i went on a vacation to visit him in in a in in the in manila no sorry not in germany in Manila, I stayed, stayed at his house there. And, um, and then I think while I was out there, I had the conversation with, with Michael again and said, okay, you know, why don't you stay there? <laughs> it's like, uh, well, let me think about this. Went back to England. England you know, has pretty terrible weather, as you probably know. And after a couple of weeks of thinking about it, I was like, well, you know, I said, well, I said, okay, why not? You know, like uh, you, only live, you only live once. This will be, I definitely learned something and, you know, it'd be interesting. Um, so I said, well, can I go to go back to Manila? I know, you know they seem to, they speak English there, friendly. And you know, I have a friend who, who's living there right now. So when, yeah, why not? No problem. So we, we flew back to Manila uh, a few weeks later. And yes, we, we, we built up team there. I also, so in Asia, it's nearly three years. So we, I hired a country manager for, for uh, Japan, Japanese market. He's, he's, still, uh, he's still working at Zendesk in Tokyo. We, we like incorporated, a, you know, the first year I was out there, I spent a lot of time going to Japan and spending time there setting up 
helping to set up the Japanese office because that was one of the big markets. And then once Japan was set up, uh, you know, I wasn't really able to be very valuable to the to that market because it's you know I don't don't speak Japanese or anything. So you know they they kind of building up Japan as its own thing. And my focus was mostly on building up kind of what what we described a bit maybe a bit arrogantly as kind of English speaking Asia. Uh, so this is like Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, India, the Philippines, uh, Malaysia, Indonesia, and, 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 and some, a few other, maybe a few handful of other countries. Appreciate the context there, Nick. Looking back at your journey at Chartmogul, and I'm shifting gears here, but one of the things you folks did is have maybe a couple of different packages. Uh, for entrepreneurs or people that are thinking about product-led motions, how do you think about price and packaging now? I think what, one thing I've definitely formed a bit of an opinion on is, is um, in the last year or so is about having multiple tiers of plans, like um, you know, having a pro plan, a regular plan, a pro plan, an enterprise plan, these kind of things. And, and you know, it's, it's like, people it's kind of natural to think oh well we should add an enterprise plan or because all the successful SaaS companies all of them have tiered plans right um it's just normal of course you should have that you know advice from from anybody or investors or anybody would be like you know why don't you add um you know a, a you know a plan for for larger businesses um you know with with differentiated product features um I actually think that doing that too early is, is a distraction because it adds, you have to like build features that then aren't available to all your customers. Um, and you have to manage the feature gating of them and you have to manage the billing of multiple different plans, all those things. It creates quite a bit of complexity. Anytime you want to change your plans and billing and pricing, you've got to do it in like two, two places or three places now. Um, and I think it only makes sense to do that kind of, um, you know, that, that segment, you know, that kind of forking of, in a way, or segmentation of the pricing and plans. Once you have your 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 main, your primary paid plan, should just you know has really strong dynamics, uh, like very low churn, high conversion from trial to paid. Um, you know, high, you know, perfect, great. You've really solved every part of the funnel. Like the onboarding is solved. Like that's much more important. Is is like you know, people are signing up for a free trial. They're onboarding successfully. Once they're onboarded, they're converting successfully. They are um, sticking around. The retention is is strong, and the and the and they're up. They're up. You know, they're upgrading as as the company grows, or they add more licenses, whatever. Once you've got that down, then and only then should you, you know, add that additional overhead of having these like higher tiered plans. And I think in something like our first year, I think even maybe from day one we had like two plans, uh, but or at least like after the first few months, like okay, now it's time to add a second plan. Before we'd actually nailed the the fundamentals of having a one plan with really healthy fundamentals. So my opinion is a bit like if you're if I was to start again, I would just just keep things simpler, have one paid plan, and stick with one paid plan until we felt that the dynamics of that plan were so strong that actually now is the time. Let's add a, a premium plan above that. Um, and I think you know it's like you know, the, 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 the tendency. And for us, it was, it was the case, you know, Zendesk, we added our, our plus plan and it was really successful. And then we had enterprise plan and it was successful. So it's like, Oh, well, it worked there. It should work here. But we kind of forget the fact that, okay, Zendesk had a extremely um, uh, well-performing basic plan to start with, with like, 
you know, really strong in every part of their funnel. So I think that's something, that's one thing that I would, uh, you know, I, I would do differently starting as not worry about, you know, not kind of create all these separate plans and stuff. No, but in terms of free, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's, that's super helpful. And I, and I might, I may have cut you off, but in, in, how do you think about that in terms of free, like in the early days? Um, I think you guys have a free 14 day trial. You even have like a freemium product. Like, did you have that from day one? Do you advise? We, we always had the free trial. We had the free trial from day one. Yeah. We had the sure. free trial, no credit card required. Uh, you know, we experiment, we did 30 days, 14 days, seven. Yeah. I think we settled on 14 days as a good, <laughs> I think the problem, the problem, the reason is that is like, if you do 30 days and people want another trial, people yeah. want a trial extension, it ends yeah. up being like 60 days. Too long. And it's like, yeah. okay, two, two months. So we've been like investing time with, with the customer without receiving, um, you know, any, 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 any money. So it's like a, where seven, you know, you know, seven days too short, 14 days, you know, if they need a little bit more time, we usually just, okay, have another, have another week or have another two weeks. So it's like, doesn't end up being like really long, uh, too, too long. Uh, so it's kind of our, our happy medium, but we always had the free trial, no credit card required, sign up. I think that's the help. I think that's the best option. Um, I remember one of our competitors, you know, they, they, they required payment and credit card up front. Yep. Um, and, uh, and they actually, and I think they, they, they just get, you just get less trial volume. Of course you get more noise if you have the free trial. Um, but you just get, you get less volume and, and you end up um, making less money. Like if, if you, if there is, if there's two competing products, two competing companies and one requires a credit card to get started and one doesn't require a credit card and one you can, or you can just sign up and try the product. The one that you can just sign up and try the product for free is always gonna, it's always gonna, you know, do better in my opinion, because Go. Like if I put myself in the shoes of the customer, if I'm looking at two products and one, one requires me to put in my credit card, one doesn't, I'm just, I probably won't even bother with the one that requires the credit card. So that competitor actually, after about a year, uh, reverted to the exact same model that we have. You the free trial. After? Yeah. The free trial and then the, uh, and the paid pay at the end of the trial, if you like the product later on, actually, uh, probably around two or three years ago. Now we did introduce a fully free product. Um, and that was partly to due to um, changes in our market. Our, our integration partners like Recurly and Stripe and Chargebee, uh, they all started to add their own subscription analytics. Like they're lightweight; it's not as kind of powerful as, as what we do. It's our you know it's our core focus and all that. But they started to add something lightweight, it for free, bundled with their own products, um, and for very small company. Uh, just getting started, that might be enough. Um, so what we did is introduce a plan that's free if you have less than 10K, $10,000 of monthly recurring revenue. So it's completely free. And then if you get over 10K, you know, $120,000 in annual revenue, um, then then you get a paywall, actually. It's like a New York Times style paywall, like Okay, yeah. congratulations. Like, now <laughs> you have to pay. Let's get you to the uh, next level. One of the things you brought up, which I thought was really interesting, is paying attention to the market. And one of the things I've seen you talk about over the last 12 months is just how mainstream SaaS has become and how much more competitive it's come from like yeah. more vendors, more options. So how do you think about uh, like differentiating yourself as one of the companies out there? And frankly, how, how, how often do you go back to the drawing board? Yeah, I mean, you're right. Like Zendesk is a very different experience. We didn't really have any any SaaS competitors of any 
you know, significant threat or substance when I was for the first, you know, several years of working there, I think. I mean, I remember when, you know, some, some competitors did start to show up, um, SAS, you know, SAS ticketing. And we're like, oh, you know, we, we're kind of annoyed at first. Like, how dare they? This is our idea. Like, you know, <laughs> like the attitude is, you know, we're like, how dare they? You know, like this is, but of course these days, like you can just, you know, if you're in SAS and you're doing anything, anything well, you can expect to have a bunch of competitors. Um, and, and that's just the reality. You know, if you're in it's bigger the market, the more competitors you're probably going to have. Um, and that's just the reality you have to have to live with. And yeah, I guess you can, you can compete on several different vectors, right? Like um, you can compete on, you know, having better sales and marketing on having a better product on having a better something, something um, better content, um, which is, I guess, part of the, can be part of marketing, can be part of product. Um, for us, we, we try to mostly compete on, on product. So I think there's always the, the, it, for me, it just feels like dollars invested into product is like such a great investment, such a, it just pays dividends for like forever. Um, and the cost, existing customers appreciate it. And the, um, and the, uh, you know, and, and the market appreciates it. And I think it, it also kind of compounds if, if you're constantly investing into product and your product is <clears throat> constantly getting better and better, you start to leave the com other competitors uh, behind you in terms of capability. And it allows you to win larger deals and things like that because larger subscription businesses have more, more complex requirements. Manila, there was a huge Mercedes, uh, Mercedes Benz like billboard near my house, uh, the best or nothing. Um, and I'd see this, this billboard like really frequently. So I remember the slogan, but it was kind of like Mercedes saying, I, I, you know, they, they, they don't want to release something unless it's the best in the market, or they'd rather just not release anything and not be in that market at all. And I, that's actually how I, a little way, I feel like that with uh, Chart Mogul, actually. I, I want us to have, and I believe we do have the best product on the market. And I don't think I'd be so motivated to come to work each day if, if we didn't. Um, I think that's what keeps us motivated. One of our five values is excellence. And you know, I think that's how we try to differentiate, just have the best product on the market. And then we can always be proud of that and, um, and constantly invest into that. And uh, I think that's, that's, how, that's how we do it. But yeah, companies can differentiate all different ways. I mean, there is an expression, it's not the best product that wins, it's the best sold product. So you, you can't neglect the other parts of the business either. You have to make sure you have very good sales and marketing motions going on as well. There's probably a follow-on episode um, to go a little bit deeper into all the trends and predictions that you probably have in the SaaS world, just from the, you know, the customer data and the dashboards and, and everything that you guys see there at ChartMogul. But um, as a sort of uh, bookend of the podcast, Poya and I always like to ask kind of our famous two questions uh, you, is what is something that you believe to be true that others disagree with? My, one of the things I love about the reason we sponsor SASTOC and SASTER, uh, you know, like every single year um, we, we yeah. attend a sponsor and we, you know, gold sponsors. It's like, I think it's just really fun um, to go meet your people in person. All our customers are there make us make a stand it's like software is software is there's not many good films made about so, the software industry right lots of great films made about like the car racing industry or or <laughs> because uh developing software is, is 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 meta right it's not it's not uh 
it's abstract. It doesn't make for very visual. It doesn't make for a very visual experience, right? Mm. But you know, there's lots of great films made about people that make airplanes, for example, like first sure. people to build a flying, you know, an airplane, things like that, because it's like, you know, it's tangible and it's fun. And I think events, software events, um, are you know one of the few things where the world of te the technology industry becomes this tangible thing, especially in business software which, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, social networking, you know, kind of meet people as well, but business software is really very like on the screen. Um, and I think the events are really, you know, it's a tangible thing. It's fun. You go there, people put a lot of heart and effort. Our creative team designs a nice booth. The team feels proud of it. You get to meet team members. We haven't seen for a long time as well. Meet our customers. And it's great. You take photos. We always bring a good camera with us. We can, we can take great photos and put them up on the website. And I think, you know, people, I think the real world is, is not, is, uh, you know, it's, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> it's like, uh, the computers can only give people so much, uh, in life. Um, so yeah, that's why I'm, that's why I'm feel like, uh, real events will bounce back and, and virtual events. Yeah. Uh, maybe this year, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's more time on the computer. Uh, you know, people want to get away from their computer screen, meet people, you know, I, I always drink Guinness once a year. It's at the Sastock Dublin conference and it's like my annual Guinness. <laughs> I agree with you. I think uh, it's very hard to replicate uh, the in-person emotional experience uh, virtually. Exactly. Uh, exactly. The, the next question, which is probably my favorite and where you can probably pay it forward is, what's one thing you wish you had known, Nick, before you got to X? For first time, maybe biggest learning or biggest thing for me as I run, running a company for a long time, uh, for first time, sorry. You you kind of like you're pretty it's pretty it's pretty nerve wracking uh, in a way and you don't really know 100% what you're doing, um, so it's really um, it's really easy to listen to outside voices or listen to what's going on in Twitter sphere or from you know advisors or, or or just kind of read blog posts from places like Saster and think oh that's what we have to be doing right because that's what the successful people are doing and the the blog you know Jason. He's putting out amazing stuff, as as is every, you know, as is a lot of people. Um, Jason Lemkin, and and it's great stuff, but it's not really re always going to be relevant to your company. So I think one of the things, as now I'm in like year six of running my own business, is like just kind of like uh, knowing, getting much more confident of um, just listening to my own internal voice and and like what makes sense for our business versus what what makes sense for other business. And you just get much 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 better I, at that. I, so. I, think, I love I think, that you shared that. I, I can't, uh, and, and apologies for cutting up, but I think that's so important. Uh, and not many founders or people, uh, and both Robbie and I work as consultants, advisors, and helping people sometimes. It's, I can't tell you how often a founder reads a book or reads a blog post and it's like, hey, we got to do it this way. And you literally have to get, take them to step back and understand why it's not relevant or why it is relevant for their business, right? And, and that's I, where the I, context I bet, is crucial. I bet a bunch of businesses have been really damaged or, or, um, or even like, you know, gone, gone under because the, the founder, um, and everyone does, you know, wasn't listened, you know, listened to advice or listened to blogs or, you know, and, and followed that versus following their own gut, their own gut feeling of like, does this actually make sense? Should we be doing this for our business? Like, you know what I mean? There's just, there's so much, um, you know, there is so much, pull, especially in the first year or two, we really don't know what you're doing. Um, there is, there's a, so much information overload and external 
advice, even if the advice is not even directed at you, it's just advice for founders on, on LinkedIn or, or, or blogs or Twitter or something, in ge general advice. But I, I think it's like getting better at just listening to your, yourself and then picking and choosing from what's out there, what makes sense is, is like really, really important. Um, I think it took, me, it took me at least two or three years to get into that notion. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Having, having that internal filter is critical for sure. Well, it's been a fantastic show, Nick. Uh, I, I know Chart Mogul, Sarah, and the team, uh, and yourself have been great friends. So we, we can't thank you enough. We can't thank you enough for everything you're doing out there, uh, for building the great product that you've invested in over the last six years, uh, as well as paying it forward to, on today's show. If our listeners want to get in touch with you, uh, A, would you be open to that? And B, what, what would be the best way? Uh, sure, yeah. Um... My email is nick, N-I-C-K, at chartmogul.com. Uh, and Twitter is uh, nick, N-I-C-K, underscore Franklin. Uh, you know, Twitter, Twitter handle. So either of those options, uh, welcome to, uh, welcome to reach out. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Helps engineers and engineering managers become great leaders. And how do they do that? Well, Plato helps you find the perfect mentor thanks to its network of experienced engineering leaders who work at the world's best tech companies. For a monthly fee, you have unlimited access to mentors who can help when you have challenging situations as a manager. Visit them at PlatoHQ.com.